Hey everybody, welcome to Studio HFL. I'm your host, Larry Powell. And today's interview is with a member of the Canadian Brass and a faculty member of the University of North Texas. And of course, I'm speaking about Caleb Hudson. Caleb's interview is from May 13th, 2020. But before we get to the interview, just a word regarding the sponsors for this podcast. Continued interviews from Studio HFL are made possible through the support of Messina Covers, Eastman Music Company, Pickett Blackburn, S.E. Shires, and through the generosity of Patreon subscribers. Trumpet players can be kind of picky when it comes to cases, perhaps even more so than other brass instrumentalists. If you have an idea for a custom case, then Messina Covers has your solution for completely custom case designs, even down to crazy color schemes. Let's not forget about options for mouthpiece pouches, or pretty much anything you'd want to keep protected in a custom case. Check them out at MessinaCovers.net. If you're looking for excellence in trumpets, trombones, horns, and tubas, you need look no further than the Eastman Music Company and S.E. Shires. Eastman offers a complete line of brass instruments, from the beginner all the way up to the professional. And you know they're invested in creating a quality product when the legendary Doc Severinsen helped design Eastman's beginner trumpet model. You can find more information about the Eastman Music Company at EastmanWinds.com and you can learn more about the S.E. Shires line of instruments at seshires.com. Pickett Blackburn has established themselves as a top-tier resource for trumpet players. If you haven't had a chance to try any mouthpieces available through Pickett, you can check them out online at pickettblackburn.com. And on the Blackburn side of Pickett Blackburn, it would be worth your while to check out their incredible line of trumpets endorsed by such great musicians as Vince DiMartino. Be sure to check them out at pickettblackburn.com, and that's Pickett with two T's. And before today's interview, just a reminder that you too can be a financial supporter for this podcast by subscribing at patreon.com slash studiohfl. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash studiohfl. There are four tiers of support, and you can choose the one that best fits your budget. Your support will help offset the cost of production for this podcast and would be greatly appreciated. Please consider becoming a subscriber at patreon.com slash studiohfl. And now, on to today's interview with your host, Larry Powell. Welcome to my podcast, Studio HFL. I'm glad to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. So, uh, I know you, of course, like a whole lot of other people. You don't know me, but that's cool. Um, we have a, a common background with Vinny DiMartino, and uh, I think that's about it. <laughs> and, we, and we play trumpet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love Vince. Vince is, um, I looked up to his playing since 10 years old. Um, but even more so than that, he, he's the kind of guy you just want to emulate <laughs> uh, just because he, I think he has the most generous um, spirit of anyone I know, really. Just, you know, yeah, and it's not just the it's not just the playing aspect. You know, he is generous in uh, providing contacts and uh, support and encouragement. And I think you know, uh, I aspire to be that kind of teacher and player myself. He's just he's just such a yeah, great guy. Yeah, he's great. So, hey, Caleb Hudson, welcome to my podcast, uh, Studio HFL. And uh, you get the first question everybody gets. Okay. What what does the HFL stand for? I was going to ask you. That's going to be that was my first question for you. <laughs> okay. Earlier, yeah, think think like a trumpet player. 
Higher, faster, louder. Yeah, bingo, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's exactly, oh, it's exactly right. right. So, you know, I've, I've had the, uh, almost said pleasure, but I'm not sure, maybe it's a misfortune to uh, talk to some low brass players. And of course that completely, you know, right over their head <laughs> for them. But um, yeah, you know. Lesion recently, right? Yeah, uh, I've got to get his edited and out there. Um, you know, Abby Conant was another big one. You have to put all the, the bleeps in. Uh, it wasn't. No, no. I, you know, uh, I've only had a couple of episodes where I've had to bleep anybody, and I'm not going to tell you who it was. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, it's been a pretty uh, family-friendly podcast to this point now. I don't okay. know. You could, if you choose, I mean, you could choose to make this the first explicit content. I don't think uh, you know me that well yet. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, let's start with, tell me what's going on. I, I know uh, you're like everybody else. You're kind of in limbo at the moment, but uh, tell tell me and everybody else what's going on, what you're doing to pass the time these days. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for having me. This is really fun. Um, I'm doing a lot of these, actually. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Canadian Brass, our shows were postponed. Luckily, um, most of the presenters have postponed the concerts and not canceled them, although there have been a few cancellations. We're trying to um, stay active on social media and um, do some live interviews, much like this. Yeah. Uh, we've, uh, we came up with our trumpet quarantine classes, and Brandon, mm -hmm. Brandon Auer, Chris Coletti, and myself have interviewed mm -hmm. Mark Gould, Miroslav Petkov. Uh, he's one of the principal trumpets of Concertgebouw. Uh, Juliana Summerhalder, everybody knows mm -hmm. Juliana's playing. And if you don't, go check them out. Oh, yeah. Uh, Etienne Charles, the uh, amazing jazz trumpet player and teacher at Michigan State. Uh, mm -hmm. And a few others. Um, Dave Krause, Billy Hunter. So, yeah, um, we've been doing a lot of that creatively. Um, we've been doing some project remote projects like a lot of others. Um, we're working on a trumpet sextet, actually. Um, and I'm super excited about it um, because it's it's an arrangement of the Grieg Holberg suite that I did for trumpet sextet. Oh, yeah, uh, it's it's been recorded, just has to be mixed. It's mm -hmm. uh, Giuliano Summerhalder, Miroslav Petkov, and Omar Tomasoni, mm -hmm. the principal trumpets of Concertgebouw, and then Brandon Reinauer, Chris Coletti, and myself. So wow. uh, that's going to come out pretty soon. I'm, mm -hmm. Can't wait for that. So was that a remote recording or did you guys gather in, in one place for that? Uh, I wish we could go to Amsterdam and, and hang out and record. Yeah. Uh, I know the, the three European guys got together at Giuliano's apartment in Rotterdam mm -hmm. and, um, and recorded um, on the same microphones in the same room. So that helps a little bit. What sure. we did was we didn't want to use a click track as reference because that piece, you know, it's so romantic and so much rubato, um, and we wanted to to give it more life. So we used a reference recording as a click track, and this ref this recording is just so um, there's so much freedom and liberty that they take. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it, it's what actually was the, what was the instrumentation of that recording? Was that the original uh, instrumentation? String yeah, string orchestra. Yeah. yeah, it's the Moscow soloists. And uh, it's, I'm, I'm telling you, it's like, there's not a steady pulse throughout the whole piece, really. <laughs> uh, it's all over the place, but in a really beautiful way. So mm -hmm. um, I, yeah, I can't wait to see the final result. Um, 
but that's fun. Yeah, things like that. I'm doing some solo videos uh, in the works. I've actually, I'm waiting on a couple microphones to arrive in the mail. Uh, and oh, I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go do some um, solo videos. It's been a while since I've put, put those out. So those are my projects. I'm staying busy um, artistically and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah, UNT, um, I teach at University of North Texas. Yeah, and congratulations on that appointment. That's fantastic. Oh, thanks. I love it here. Yeah, we're here in Texas, and um, it's been a really great place to call home. I uh, just finished my second year here, and um, we finished lessons uh, last week. So, um, yeah, so that in my official uh, duties for the school year are over, but I'm still trying to keep in touch with students because I know their mm-hmm. summer festivals have been canceled, and sure, and uh, I want to be as supportive as I can during the sure. summer. So um, let's go back for just a second to the uh, sextet that you were talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. Who did the arrangement for that? Is that something you undertook? Yeah, I did. I actually did it for my student carpet ensemble here at UNT. Um, but, you know, as you know, NTC was canceled this year. Oh. Uh, and they, were, you know, I know so many carpet ensembles worked hard to, uh, to have yeah. the chance. And I know it's, it, there's a lot of value in the preparation process, but it's a huge bummer not to be able Right. I remember doing uh, several NTCs in my college days. It was mm-hmm. So fun to um, mostly just to to go through that. Pro- it's like a training for, for the Olympics, really, uh, mm-hmm. with the ensemble. And uh, the standards have just gotten higher, so it's cool. And, and in a way, it's it's really cool. It's kind of athletic in a way, right? But right. Um, but yeah, I arranged it for trumpet sextet, and then. Um, I rearranged it for this specific ensemble because mm-hmm. I wanted to specifically showcase um, everyone in the group. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone has a different style and, and uh, voice. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I'm just so excited. I've looked up to everyone in the ensemble. All their, their playing is just incredible. Um, mm-hmm. I went to Interlochen Arts Camp with Giuliano back in 2003. So, um, and he, he was a freak. He, he won the... <laughs> As a high schooler, he won the concerto competition playing Des Enclos. And it was flawless, but even more important, it was like he 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 had like such a strong mm-hmm. art, artistic statement on stage. Mm-hmm. And it, mm-hmm. it was amazing. It was like so committed and beautiful, his playing. So he, that was a huge inspiration. I was 14 years old and Giuliano, he was 18. And I was like, I managed to make it into Wiso's World East Symphony Orchestra. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was playing like fourth trumpet and getting ne- to sit next to Giuliano and, and play. It was amazing. So uh, was that the connection to the other two? Oh, to, uh, to the other two guys? Yeah. Um, actually, me and uh, Chris Coletti, um, two, about a year and a half ago, we were in um, Netherlands playing uh, as a part of our Canadian brass tour. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we saw that the Concertgebouw was playing Mahler 6, Mahler 7, Mahler 7. Mm-hmm. And um, afterwards, we saw Miroslav Petkov, who was playing mm-hmm. Prince Robert that evening. And uh, he sounded amazing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we hung out with him afterwards and got to know him a bit. So, yeah, uh, yeah I guess they were independent. And I've actually, I've never met Omar um, face-to-face, just over, mm-hmm. over Zoom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's another one. Um, in my opinion, those two guys, Omar and Miro, uh, they have, oh my goodness, they they have such a unique approach to to the trumpet. It's very vocal. 
It's mm. gorgeous. Um, I was just watching Omar play uh, the Shostakovich piano and Trampa Concerto. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm on YouTube a lot these days watching. Concerts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's playing uh, with Yuja Wang, uh, pianist. And he, it was, it was incredible. Uh, I, yeah, if, go, go check it out on YouTube. It's, it's such an amazing performance. Probably the best trumpet performance of that piece that I've ever heard. And wow. It's live. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then Miroslav, he has a few videos online. I, I told him after the concert, like, man, you need to release more, <laughs> more stuff because people need to hear you play. They're, they're yeah. both amazing artists. Yeah. The, those are names, uh, you know, I've seen, but uh, they're not like Gabor Tarkovi. That's, you know, that's all over the right. place these days. Uh, of course, Hokan has really been making wow. some waves with his Charlie uh, recordings lately. Yeah. Amazing. which have just been, you know, I think life-changing truly, you know, in, in yeah. the way you yeah. look at those. I told my students like just every week, once a video comes out, just imitate <laughs> every single like bar by bar, exactly what Hokan does, you know, yeah. maybe a step lower, but that's okay. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, you mentioned uh, working on some solo uh, things and uh, I'm adding something new to the, these podcasts. I, have started inviting people to submit questions to be asked. Oh, cool. And uh, there's a, a, a really fine trumpet player, Morris Northcutt. I don't know if you know that name. I know the uh, name. Uh, so his was the best question submitted. So I'm going to ask on behalf of Morris. Okay. Uh, specifically for the, the uh, Bach Partita that you recorded. How many takes? Oh, how many takes? Was that? It was, well, I recorded each note separately and then I put them all <laughs> You must have one heck of an engineer to be able to do that, right? Well, even a trumpet is actually a tractor trailer horn and <laughs> transpose it and get the notes on a keyboard. You realize, you know, the power of words. Somebody might listen to this and go out and start investing in tractor trailer horns. You know, this is you <laughs> and so you can start buying stock in those products too. <laughs> yeah. So uh yeah, well here's I I was so inspired. The, what inspired me to do that video was seeing um, actually live performance of Chris Teeley, mandolin player, mm -hmm. play all the Bach sonatas and partitas. And um, that's, that was actually the first time I, I heard the piece. Mm -hmm. I wish I was familiar with it before, but, mm -hmm. um, and I call myself a Bach lover and I didn't know <laughs> the violin works super well. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I checked out um, the violin player, Isabel Faust, her mm -hmm. recordings of the Bach sonatas and partitas. And I, mm -hmm. I, those are my favorite. I imitated, I tried to imitate every, like, every thing she did, every subtle phrasing uh, decision she made. I tried mm -hmm. to imitate it on the trumpet as best as I could. Mm -hmm. so, you know, make time to breathe. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, how many takes? I don't know. Yeah, there was a few takes, of course. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was kind of obvious in the way we, we shot the video. Like there's, you can tell there's no microphone in the video itself. Yeah. And that was well, part of Well, fabulous, fabulous playing either way. I mean, that's just... Uh, oh, thanks. Yeah, I never got tired. Just two notes at a time. It was perfect. Well, you know, to do unaccompanied, you know, and, and I, I insist that my students do something unaccompanied um, because it's you and only you, right? I mean, you have to know how to carry a piece by yourself and not rely right. on you know whoever's collaborating with you and uh, right. there's a lot of value in in doing that especially the box stuff uh mm -hmm. for phrasing right learning 
Yep. Learning phrasing and harmonic structure because uh, there's so much um, impl implied. Well, not so much implied. There's so much harmonic structure to the piece that you have to understand, mm -hmm. uh, even if there are no double stops in, in, in a movement. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I, I think learning an unaccompanied piece or even learning how to play a good cadenza, like it's very mm -hmm. rare to find a student know how to time a cadenza in a way that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to use silence, you have to use liberty and rubato, but also structure and, and pulse in order to contrast those two things or else it's like pouring, you know, syrup, a gallon of syrup on your pancake. <laughs> after, after a while, it gets to be too much. Right. So, um, yeah, and learning how to use silence and um, and not so much that it kills the vibe, but mm -hmm. just enough that it creates the drama and the tension of the music that you want. Um, so yeah, any unaccompanied piece, any cadenza. Um, yeah, usually when I'm working with a, a trumpet player on Haydn, we, we jump right to the cadenza because it's... Mm. Um, well, first, I encourage them to write their own cadenza. But second, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it's so it takes so much um, tweaking and, and kind of just like exploring and able uh, to be able to find your stamp, put your stamp on that cadenza to make it um, feel right to you and, and for the audience, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I can see the value in starting there because you have to use source material, right? And if it's in the first movement, you can do some foreshadowing of, of later movements, but uh, you know, I think that promotes a real understanding of of the piece, right? It's not just scales and arpeggios and ta-da, we're done, right? It's it's doing some thematic, uh, real uh, right real consideration going into that. Yeah, and with any piece, you, you have to kind of just immerse yourself in the language enough so that it gets into your uh, kind of seeps into your playing subconsciously because. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's it's very valuable to do the academic analysis and harmonic analysis of, of a piece, but after a certain point of just listening over and over again and letting it kind of just seep into your uh, phrasing subconscious, like it, it mm -hmm. just kind of comes out that way. So you you have to listen so much to that music for for it to really be effective. I find that brass players in general um, just baroque music and early music is kind of just a it's another world to them and it's like they don't really know how to approach it it's very rare to find a brass motet that can approach a contrapunctus and like know what to do with it um mm -hmm. or a fugue and know how to make it interesting so it doesn't just sound like beautiful clean packaged notes um mm -hmm. and um yeah it's it's easy to in, in any contrapuntal music, it's easy for it to just feel like it's rambling on without any any direction or purpose. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'd encourage people uh, to just listen to great Baroque musicians, yeah. great early music ensembles, and, and let that kind of just marinate for a while. Yeah. You know, the uh, the Canzones, uh, Canzone Personari, uh, you know, quintets play them all the time. Yeah. Uh, the tr One of the trombone players, I, I have a quintet that has two trumpets, two trombones, and tuba, or bass trombone. But one of my trombone players was an early music student down at IU. And uh, so we're rehearsing this piece one day, and I turned to him. Uh, his name's Caleb, as a matter of fact. And I said, uh, are we playing this anywhere near <laughs> the right way? He mm -hmm. goes, well, 
not even close, <laughs> you know, but, you know, brass quintets, quintets, we've got in such a, a routine, a rut of playing certain things a certain way, right? You know, it's kind of an expected, you know, you get through it for the wedding. Nobody's going to care, but, you know, at some point I was thinking, and he, he coaches on, on cadences first. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes such a difference in the feel. Yeah. You know, tiny little tweaks in this were it huge. It doesn't take much for it to click in and for you to feel like, oh, that makes that like that makes so much more sense, right? Right. Um, yeah, you'll be surprised if you're listening. <laughs> Just a little bit of of listening and exploring, and it'll it'll feel like it clicks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not to, I'm not anyone to say like those early 20th century recordings, like Stokowski, Bach. I love those recordings. Mm-hmm. You know. Fantasia, Toccata and Fugue. That's amazing. I love that stuff. Um, and I don't think it's the wrong way to approach the music, but, um, but yeah, I, th- I think there, um, there's a certain way that the music just wants to be played. Uh, and it kind, of, it kind of comes to life and it usually it's influenced by dance. Um, mm. a lot. yeah, mm-hmm. so much of it is dance. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think in the brass world, there's this kind of like passed on brass tradition, the brass mafia approach to uh, well, higher, faster, louder, right? Well, I do think yeah, I think ego, <laughs> I I do think like ego is a part of the brass mm-hmm. tradition. You know, I mean, yeah, p- people want to be heard when they play brass instruments. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but um, yeah, you hear a lot of Gabriella recordings, dun dun dun, and um, to me, it kind of just kills the um the uh the energy of the music there's yeah. some recordings that there's one um called a new venetian coronation and hmm. if you search for it on spotify it's, it's a white album cover with a red dot it looks like the japanese flag but um macriche is the conductor macriche and it's it's beautiful uh, it's a whole album of of gabrielli and actually andrea gabrielli and giovanni gabrielli mm-hmm. and um my favorite track is um, is Andrea Gabrielli. It's a choir piece. I think Mag- Magnum Mysterium. Mm-hmm. It's it's so gorgeous. So yeah, listen to vocal, um, listen to vocal early music, Renaissance, Baroque music, mm-hmm. and that will definitely inform your playing as mm-hmm. a brass player for sure. Yeah. Um. So, how did you get to this point? I mean, you know, you're not that old. You know, where where did this discerning character that you have come into play you know was there uh, you know were you surrounded by it were there certain teachers that influenced it uh, you know and it could just be that you're you know musical genius no uh, innately <laughs> no, no no not at all and i don't even think i'm right about half the things i say but uh um no i um yeah i don't know i just i guess i'm i like to learn from my colleagues and I'm, I like to find, I kind of like to surround myself by people that push me and, um, and who are supportive, but are also thinking really creatively there. Uh, I think there are always those people at any institution that you're in. So I always encourage my students to like surround themselves with those kind of people. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, at Juilliard, there are a lot of students who are there just for orchestral training and that's great, but they were kind of of the mindset of, uh, I'm going to lock myself in a practice room. Don't bother me for four years. And I'll win a job at the end of it. And a lot of them did, not all, but a lot of them did. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then there were players who who just kind of dipped their toe and uh, you know in the water in a lot of different ways and and had a lot of different interests and were just artistically stimulating and um and I, I like to surround myself with with those kind of people who who thought about music in different ways, who had different background influences, and um, who didn't really just have a single track um, mindset. And I think mm-hmm. that's really, I'm really uh, grateful for those people, sure. uh, whether it was jazz or classical chamber music or soloists. But um, I wish I would have actually surrounded myself with more non-brass players. Mm. I, I don't know. I, there's something about that. There's like a divide there. I'm not the most outgoing person anyway, but I, I didn't really step across to the string world very much, and I wish I had more. <laughs> but you know, uh, you you say that, and I immediately think of Sergey, and mm-hmm. you know, of course, the the man can play any trumpet concerto or sonata, but he's crossed over into the string rep and the 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 leader, right, and plays it in such a non-trumpet way. And, you know, I think for me, that's, that's one of the, the great role models of, of trumpet playing, but being a musician first, right? Trumpet happens to be his voice, but he doesn't sound, he doesn't phrase, you know, like, like a trumpet player. Yeah, Sergei, I've been listening to Sergei a lot recently, actually. Um, it's very recent that his albums are now released on Spotify. Yeah, I just noticed that. Yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah, seriously. Before that, it was just like one Paganini track, which was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's incredible yeah uh but yeah now everything's out there and i've been listening to him so much recently i mean he was one of the first albums that my um uh, very first private teacher richard burt he gave me two albums a week and uh anyway uh yeah i remember he gave me the carmen fantasy album <laughs> and he gave me the no limit album the next right. album. <laughs> uh blew me away and I've been, I've been watching videos of him every day for the past. Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned him. Um, he's yeah, he's an inspiration for sure. And he's to me, him, um, Doc Schitzer, Juliana Summerhalder. These are three trumpet players that really transcend the instrument and mm-hmm. play in a way that's uh, very vocal influenced. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have something that's like very strong to say every time they pick up their horn for any piece of music that they play. Yeah. Yeah, love. I love Sergey's playing. Well, and you know, of course, YouTube not only gives us the opportunity to listen, but I think there's real value in watching these people play, and you see the ease, um, and the you know, there's there's something about that posture that that also relays the musicality of the piece, you know, and I think uh, that's as valuable as as the listening portion of it. I don't know if you'd agree with that, but uh, yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Yeah. You, you always watch people play and when it seems like they have so much ease, the first thing that comes to mind is like, Oh, they're just a natural, you know, but you, I don't know. You, you don't really know how much time they've spent in isolation uh, mm-hmm. to be able to overcome, you know, whatever bad habits to get to that point, or maybe right. they never had any bad habits, but um, yeah, I always wonder like what's, what's happened in the background to get, to that to that place well um you know i'm going to interview uh, vizuti here at the end of the week mm-hmm. he's one of those that i look at and it's like he's a natural right so i'm gonna say hey caleb hudson wants to know <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'll ask that question on your your behalf or i won't you know i, I won't throw you under the bus on that but no, that's fine 
Well, here we are in the middle of today's interview. Just a reminder that support for this podcast comes from Messina Covers, who has you covered, literally, for all of your custom case needs. The Eastman Music Company, providing excellence from the professional model to the beginner model. And of course, Pickett Blackburn, providing you with a multitude of options for mouthpieces and trumpets. Now, back to the interview. Uh, so you, you triggered something a second ago, uh, Richard Bird. Yeah. Um, where, where did you study with him? He's my very first trumpet teacher and most influential trumpet teacher, I, I say. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Uh, 10 years old, started studying with him all the way until I went to Interlochen for the Arts Academy in high school mm-hmm. for my junior year. Um, yeah, so he was um, in Lexington, Kentucky, where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And um, he taught um, a student in my sister's high school band, Matt Dillinger, who... Mm-hmm. Uh, played trumpet lullaby um at one of the concerts and i was like eight years old and and loved the way he sounded so that's why i chose the trumpet actually mm-hmm. um and and then i i wanted to study with his teacher so i studied with dr burton mm-hmm. and uh and yeah he he was he is an incredible teacher yeah he emphasized like i said the weekly listening was so great and it wasn't really it wasn't like you must listen to this. He, I just I ate it up. I I wanted. I just every album he gave me, I basically came back to <laughs> the next week with the whole thing like orally memorized. Basically, mm-hmm. I love listening so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, ear training. He emphasized ear training so much. Um, had me learn a lot by ear, mm-hmm. and um, and just really covered every base in terms of technique and and the approach to the trumpet and and repertoire so Mm -hmm. yeah he's i owe him a lot didn't he or isn't he still a a composer did he delve into that a little bit yeah yeah Yeah, really nice a lot yeah he's published through eighth note publications Mm -hmm. um he gave me a few of his compositions recently and uh, a couple book of jazz trumpet duets actually which are really, oh, no kidding. really great yeah they're really fun uh i play play with my students in lessons um mm-hmm. it's really good for them to sight read it kicks their butt it's good uh, yeah it kicks my butt too you know I, and i try to sight read something every day you know it's uh you open the saint jacome book with which i'm not that familiar with right so it's like mm-hmm. you turn to some of those and it's like uh the arbens on crack you know i mean there's it's so hard stuff back then. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Interlochen. Is that where you ran into Vinny? No, I ran in. I mean, Vince taught Rich Bird. So mm-hmm. um, I think, yeah, um, I, I started taking lessons every month with Vince pretty mm-hmm. early on. I played in the Advocate Brass Band with Vince and Danville. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I Yeah, my parents would drive me, I don't know, an hour and a half to Danville uh, for rehearsals and mm-hmm. concerts. Um, yeah, Vince, Vince was great. He always had time for lessons for anything really. Yeah. Um, he always made time. <laughs> he's, yeah. I think he's busier now that he's retired. Than, yeah. Well, you know. I just, I just texted him, uh, you know, less than an hour ago. I said, Hey, I gotta, we need to have a phone call and you know, you know, he's going to make time for me, you know, and that's, uh, that's pretty cool. So yeah. Um, uh, I was there at UK when Rich was there, Rob Parton was there, Brad Good, yeah. Al Hood, um, so, it, you know, it was, I was in the shadows of some monster players, you know, and wow. obviously great teachers and, yeah. and uh, so, yeah, Rob, you know, just finished his first year. Yeah. At UNT, right? 
I haven't had a chance to hang out with him as much as I wanted to, but uh, yeah, he's really great. I've, I've really been, uh, we're all happy to have him at UNT for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about your studio there for a little bit. What, uh, what kind of undergrad graduate uh, tell them, like, what do you focus on? Yeah. Well, I got everything. Um, uh, plenty of undergrads and master's students. And uh, I have a studio of 14 right now. Um, and um, education majors, performance majors. Uh, and yeah, I, I kind of just all hold them to the, the same standard. I don't, I don't really hold my education majors to a lower standard at all. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny. I, I don't know if you would agree, but uh, oftentimes it's the ed majors who are the most serious and, and work the hardest and have mm -hmm. the most hunger for improvement, which is uh, always intriguing to me. Um, but yeah, we, we have a good time. We have a really good family um, atmos atmosphere here at UNT. Yeah, as you know, there are three classical uh, yeah. full-time tenure track trumpet professors. Yeah. The classical trumpet professors. Uh, <laughs> we, have another, uh, <laughs> we, we have a lecturer as well in trumpet who has full studio. And then we have a few jazz trumpet professors as well. And uh, we like to keep everything as family um, feeling like, like a family as much as we can with sure. I don't know, 90 to hundred trumpet players. That's insane. Uh, it's just... it's huge. But it's a resource for those students who use it as a resource, right? Yeah. I mean, there are definitely advantages and disadvantages to the uh, massive size, but um, for students who use it as a resource, uh, it can be incredible. And mm -hmm. those students who choose to be anonymous and, they, you know, you can kind of hide in the ranks if you want, but um, you're not really getting the most out of it. And I, I try to emphasize, yeah. emphasize participation as much as possible. We have studio classes. How many studio classes do we have every week? It's crazy. Um, and then, yeah, master classes and just so many opportunities to play for each other and, mm -hmm. and learn from each other. When I was in school, like I learned way more from my colleagues and I did my teachers. And this is nothing against <laughs> Ray Mason Mark Gould. I love both of them, but um, yeah, I mean, just being able to sit next to, I mean, all these guys I went to school with who are now um, doing great things. Mm -hmm. They all had different strengths that I could learn from, which was mm -hmm. pretty great. Um, anyway, that's what I try to emphasize. Uh, I coach chamber music here at UNT. I'm actually serving as an interim director of the Center for Chamber Music Studies. So um, that's been fun. We did a com composer collaboration. We were supposed to do um, a whole composition premiere concert um, mm -hmm. before COVID canceled everything. But um, yeah, it's it's been really great um, two years here, and I'm looking forward to seeing the the program grow. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's been fun. So uh, thinking about you know during this COVID lockdown, and you know hopefully it's going to lift. Uh, at the right time soon would be great, but at the right time, uh, how are you keeping your chops in shape? I know you mentioned exploring some new solo repertoire, um, yeah. in the, the, the sextet project, but, uh, yeah. What else? Yeah. That's a good question because I was actually like, I was, there's a big question in my mind once this all, all happened. And once I realized that we wouldn't have another performance for months, um, because for me, for a lot of people, that's, that hasn't happened since, I don't know, high school, college. I mean, mm. I don't 
remember the last time I haven't had a performance coming up in a week or two. Um, but uh, so I was kind of worried. I was wondering if I would lose motivation. Uh, and with everything stripped away, with all the external motivating factors stripped away, like, mm-hmm. would I lose the motivation to to keep keep at it? And um, I have, <laughs> I'm practicing now more than I ever have. It's mm-hmm. crazy. It's, um, yeah, and it's kind of refreshing to know that like that that fire for what I do is like it's deep in there. Mm-hmm. It's it's not going anywhere. <laughs> um, and a lot of it is creative pursuits. A lot of it is um, technical foundational pursuits. So I think a good, and this is kind of the way I teach too, like a balanced approach to both. I mean, nothing you do can be framed, can be done outside of a a musical context. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of what we do is these little tweaks throughout our career that are going to help us to become more efficient players and and to be able to paint our musical picture more clearly. So Mm. um, in my own practicing lately, I've been doing a lot of, uh, of work tweaking, um, things, uh, con- conceptual things, embouchure, physical things, mm-hmm. in addition to pursuing these creative projects and trying to play, you know, these, the first thing on my, on my list to do is a Scriabin, uh, piano etude transcription. So, um, wow. and so I'm, I'm trying to, to stay balanced in my approach to these things because I think a little too much of the, the mechanical approach can just as, as a lot of people have experienced can drive you into like this <laughs> neurotic kind of right. uh, praised state where you're <laughs> not good for morale. I don't think. Um, yeah. But then again, like if, if you're neglecting your liabilities on the trumpet uh, and not, you're simply not improving in that way. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm trying to tackle both. Yeah. I'm playing. I don't know. I'm playing trumpet way too much, actually. It's good. <laughs> well, you know, with everybody here being locked in the house, it's kind of like, anyway, how much do I subject them to? You know, just, oh, yeah. much, right? You know, uh, and, and all four of us are musicians, you know, so oh, I, yeah. I, my wife's a violinist. Uh, my 13 year old plays piano. Uh, every chance he walks by it, he sits down and plays it. And my 10 year old's a violinist. And, you know, oh, and, your, the house is filled all the time. It's like, yeah. My wife's a trombone player, so um and hannah our our daughter she uh we have a one year old and she mm-hmm. got here in trombone in the womb, so like it's <laughs> never been a problem nap times we don't have to worry about nap times at all, like yeah, yeah we can leave all the doors open and and play Mahler five together <laughs> yeah uh so it's yeah it's it's kind of cool to just have music yeah. all the time. and when we're not playing or i'm I'm blasting music way too. I, Amanda hates it when I do this, but I'm playing music way too loud. I got this new stereo system, and it's so oh. <laughs> awesome. That's cool. Tower of Power was today. That's what I was listening to for. Oh, nice, yeah. nice. Anna hey, loves dancing all the time. I want to go back. You mentioned Trumpeter's Lullaby uh, a little while ago. Um, I, I give that to my uh, either first or second semester students when they come in. And they're like, some of them are like, oh, it's so simple. Mm-hmm. I'm like, sure. Okay, play it for me. And uh, Brandon actually has a terrific recording online on YouTube yeah. of this. Yeah, he does. And yeah. I said, you know, and of course, there's the Rafael Mendez uh, version, you know, and a lot of, a lot of really good versions out there. Yeah. But I, I steer them in those directions. And I say, okay, simple is good. But what can you do with it? Right? 
Right. And so they come back playing the notes and the rhythms. And I'm like, well, <laughs> it has no character, it has nothing to it. You know, and I just think the the simplest thing, you know, they sometimes they look at it as like, you should be putting Haydn or or Artunian or, you know, the Shane or somebody, something like that in front of me. And like, look, unless you can play this and make your grandmother cry, yeah, uh, you know, you're going to have a hard time with those other pieces. Right. right. So, yeah, yeah. Brand, Brandon is another, uh, I really dig his playing. It just... Yeah. You know, and uh, his three preludes, uh, you know, he and his dad did the arrangement yes. of those and just terrific, terrific playing. Yeah, he's an inspiration to play next to. I mean, it's like it's um, you're talking about effortless playing. And it's mm -hmm. like every time he plays, it's the sound is just beautiful. Every single note. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, yeah, his attacks are just always immediate. And, and beautiful yeah and and he's always busy do with with his projects like whether it's for the group or outside um he's always mm -hmm. doing something um kind of creative compositional mm -hmm. um yeah but yeah what you said about repertoire it's like yeah as trumpet players we need to learn how to separate <laughs> our ego from what we kind of tackle like we got to approach music for the right reasons. And yeah, what, what you're saying, I see, we see this all the time uh, for brass quintet too. We see a lot of student brass quintets trying to bite off a piece that they can't oh, chew. Right. And it's like, they just want to be able to say they did it. Like they played the, I don't know, the Malcolm Arnold. I mean, that's considered standard brass quintet repertoire. Most groups can't pull off the Malcolm Arnold. They just can't. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's not an easy piece. It's not, It's definitely not an easy piece to to play with a musical um, intuition and with a really strong statement. Yeah. Uh, but technically just as a piece, it's not, not easy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, we, we, we find ourselves always encouraging ensembles to, to, to try to find a piece that they can um, really play with, with a group energy with a group uh, statement, like where they're listening, they're able to listen to each other, like mm -hmm. not, they're not being overloaded. Their CPUs aren't overloaded with just like <laughs> trying to play all the notes. Mm -hmm. like they have enough left over to listen to each other and mm -hmm. be sensitive to what they're doing. Um, but yeah, I, I find that mentality of like this piece is too easy for me. That I don't know. I, I've, you don't see any pop stars saying that about <laughs> about singing. <laughs> right, right. You don't, you don't hear anyone else saying that. Yeah. Uh, or jazz musicians when, when do people say, oh, this piece, this is too easy? No, it's like, you got to put your own stamp on it. And uh, that's what matters, I think. Yeah. You know, I, and I like that statement. I, I was just thinking, uh, Ronnie Rahm and I have become good friends. And uh, of course, you know, I mean, you filled those shoes uh, uh, as, as some other really fine trumpet players have done before. But, you know, uh, you think about Amazing Grace, the, the Luther Henderson Amazing Grace, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that to me is Ronnie's version of that is the epitome of it until mm -hmm. you hear, uh, I think Chris, uh, is it Chris or Brandon that plays that? You don't play that one. Do you? I have not. No, Chris, he did the video and Brandon mm -hmm. did the, the recording on takes mm -hmm. flight that album. So yeah, they both sound great, but I like that. It, they weren't trying to emulate Ronnie, you know, it's like, this is their own take. This is their own voice. And it's, it's just as good, you know, and, you know, uh, I'm not saying that as a, 
a negative to Ronnie at all. I mean, what a what an amazing, amazing player. Uh, but I like, you know, that, that thought about putting your stamp. That's like you and Penny Lane, you know, uh, Ryan Anthony, how many times did he play that uh, right. before you played it? But you both play it putting your own stamp uh, mm -hmm. on that. And uh, so here's a question for me. How in the world do you do that night after night when you do a string of shows? I mean. Oh, Penny Lane? Yeah. Oh, someone's in the back playing. It's, it's not even okay. real. No, I see. I'm going to stop asking those questions because you don't take them. <laughs> you don't take those seriously. <laughs> I'm no, just I'm kidding. Funny. You just have to get used to feeling beat up. I mean, um, we've done that. You know, in this group, we we play. Um, we don't baby our chops, that's for sure. <laughs> like, I think our our busiest day was a concert in Indiana. Um I think it was at Conselner Institute actually. And then we drove to Hamilton, Ontario that same night. Oh my gosh. Played a, a late night concert. Yeah. Both two hour shows, both Penny Lane, uh, at the end of the, of both concerts. And, um, and the expectation is just to, to, to do it and to do it at yeah. the highest possible level every yeah. single time. And so, I mean, you can't, you can't really expect to feel fresh all the time because it's not going to happen. I mean, and that's not even taking into consideration the, the travel and the the uh, lack of sleep and the flight cancellations and delays and uh, altitude changes and everything sure. that's out of control, um, out of our control. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think the experience is so important um, in a number of ways, but like just embracing the mentality of like, this is out of my control and, um, you just have to learn how to how to function at a high sure. level amidst not the most ideal circumstances all the time. Yeah. Are you giving uh, recitals or have you been given recitals uh, each semester at UNT? I did last year. Yeah, this this year I didn't um, because, uh, well, all this stuff. But um, I, I was also scheduled to do a recital in, in March and um, – and then I got a call to do Brandenburg on, on natural trumpet. So I, I took that <laughs> and I was going to postpone the recital later in the semester. But um, yeah, I, I played, that was my last performance before everything wow. shut down was Brandenburg wow. on Baroque trumpet, which was the first time I ever did it. And it was in Dominican Republic and it was, it was really fun with the Handel Haydn Society out of Boston. Mm -hmm. uh, it really freaked me out. At Baroque, at Baroque pitch? Yeah, 415. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had uh, Matt Martin, Norwich Trumpets. He made me a, an F um, natural trumpet and a beautiful instrument. Three hole, four hole, two hole? It's a four hole instrument, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I don't know if you've done this, but uh, Bob Barclay and Rick Serafinoff have this natural trumpet workshop. I want to. I've never had been able to, but yeah. I, I did it back in uh, 2003. Oh, cool. And, you know, walked out of there with a functional uh, D trumpet at uh, 440, uh, but with a bit to take me down to, to 430 or 415. Okay. Uh, and it was uh, what Barb Barkley calls the two-hole system. You know, one right here and one out here. <laughs> you know, there's, and, and all the notes are exactly where God intended for them to be in between. You yeah. know? <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know what? I, I really dig this move towards uh, broken natural trumpet. I mean, it's opened a huge amount of doors for trumpet players. 
Yeah, I mean, it's I I I love playing Brogue trumpet, and um, I started doing it in New York when Juilliard started its its historical program. Mm-hmm. And they bought a couple of Eggers, and I checked one out and got to study with John Teeson. Mm-hmm. He uh, kind of opened some doors, definitely opened some doors for me mm-hmm. in the Baroque trumpet world. Um, and yeah, I just love the playing. And people don't realize how much music there is for Baroque trumpet. Mm-hmm. Just in box cantatas alone, there's so much music. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's and it's a lot of people kind of avoid going down that path because they think it's gonna it's gonna compromise their pursuits towards orchestral playing and uh, maybe for some, but uh, for me, I found it to be really complementary to my modern trumpet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a friend of mine and I did uh, one of the Mozart symphonies on natural trumpet uh, just before all this stuff shut down. Oh, nice. And. Uh, you know, it was pretty much, I went to the music director and I said, do you trust me? And he said, well, you know, let's get through the first rehearsal. <laughs> and, uh, but it worked. And man, what a, what a cool sound, you know, and it informs, I'm thinking, you know, next time I play on a piston or a rotary, you know, I'm going to change things. You know, I'm going to play like I was on, uh, on a period instrument, you know, more, more stylistically so. Uh, so yeah, I'm really digging uh, the work that I get to do on that. Well, listen, um, I really appreciate the time. You know, it's taken us a little bit to get uh, get to this point, but I uh, really appreciate everything you've shared. It's been, you know, it's always a kick to sit and just listen to what's going on. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that uh, uh, you guys get back out on the road soon. I hope that uh, you're on campus in the fall. Um, yeah, me too. I think we will be, but I, I hope so. And, uh, and I hope we get to meet sometime, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah so thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad to have you. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening today. Tune in next week for another great interview. And one last reminder that you can help support this podcast by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com slash studio HFL. Your support would be most appreciated. And another special thanks to Messina Covers, the Eastman Music Company, and Pickett Blackburn for their support of this podcast. Thanks again. Now, go practice. <laughs>